St. John Bosco had hundreds of mysterious visions sent from God in the form of dreams. These mystical experiences were parables that he was meant to tell to his oratory boys to help them make it to heaven. But I think the whole world should hear St. John Bosco's dreams because they're incredibly beneficial for your spiritual life. So join us for our three-part series on St. John Bosco's dream, The Life-Saving Raft. You're watching The Miracles and Prophecies of St. John Bosco, a project of America Needs Fatima. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. On Monday evening, on the first day of 1866, Don Bosco narrated the following dream. It seemed that I was not far from a town that looked like Castelnuovo di Asti, but it wasn't. The boys of the oratory were merrily playing in an immense plain. Suddenly, water encroached upon the edges of that plain, and we realized we were surrounded by a flood which advanced towards us. The swollen Po River had overflowed, and with immense destructive torrents, it was coming right for us. Overcome with terror, we ran for a large isolated mill which had walls as thick as those of a fortress. We and our dear dismayed boys stopped in the courtyard of the mill. But as the waters began to seep into that area too, we were all forced to retreat into the house and move into the upper rooms. From the windows, we could see the extent of the disaster. From the Superga Hills to the Alps, where we could usually make out meadows, cultivated fields, and woods, and farmsteads, we could no longer see anything but an immense lake. As the water rose, we climbed from one floor to the next till we reached the highest floor. By the time we got to the top, we lost all human hope of saving ourselves. I encouraged all my boys to confidently commend themselves into the hands of God and the arms of our Blessed Mother Mary. But the water had already almost reached the top floor of the mill. Then our fright was universal. We saw no other means of escape until a very large raft in the form of a ship floated near us out of nowhere. Everyone was breathless and wanted to be the first to take refuge in the raft but no one dared because it couldn't come close enough to the house, being prevented by a wall a little taller than the water level. So we had to walk on a long, narrow tree trunk to board the raft. But this task was difficult because one end of the trunk rested on the raft that rose and fell with the rolling waves. Getting up my courage, I crossed over first. To help the young men move calmly from the mill to the raft, I assigned some clerics in the mill to help the boys leave it, and I had other clerics on the raft side who could help those arriving. After a while, the priests found themselves so tired that they were falling down with exhaustion. To my surprise, I saw that those who stepped in to relieve them met the same fate. Amazed, I too wanted to put myself to the test to see what was happening, and soon I felt so exhausted that I could no longer stand either. Meanwhile, many eager young men, either fearing death or wanting to show off their courage, found a wooden plank long enough and a little wider than the tree trunk, and with that, they made a second bridge to the raft. Then, without waiting for the help from the clerics and priests, they rushed across it, not heeding me when I cried out to them to wait. Cease, cease, or else you will fall, I shouted but many lost their balance before they reached the boat. They fell, 
and were swallowed by those murky and putrid waters, never to be seen again. Even their fragile plank sank with those on it. A quarter of our young men fell victim to this attempt. Once I realized that the flood had risen above the dividing wall, I was able to push the raft closer to the mill. At this point, Don Caliero stood with one foot on the mill's window ledge and the other on the raft's edge. He offered a hand to help the remaining young men safely jump into the raft. Even so, not all the young men were saved. A number had ascended to the mill's attics and from there to its roof. There they clustered tightly on the ridge while the flood, which had continued to rise without stopping, was already covering the eaves of the roof. But with the water had also risen the raft. So I shouted to the group, recommending that they pray heartily, be quiet, and go down the roof to the raft together, gripping one another's arms so they wouldn't slip. They obeyed, and as the side of the raft reached the eaves, this group also made it aboard, aided by their companions. Once on the raft, we found baskets holding many loaves of bread. When all were safely in the boat, we were still uncertain of escaping that danger. I took command as captain and said to the young men, Mary is the star of the sea. She doesn't abandon those who trust in her. Let us all place ourselves under her mantle. She'll rescue us from perils and guide us to a calm harbor. So we allowed the waves to control the raft, which floated excellently and moved away from that place. Propelled by the wind, the rushing waves pushed the raft with such speed that we clutched one another so as not to fall. Having quickly covered a great deal of distance, the boat suddenly stopped and spun round and round with extraordinary speed so that it seemed as if it would sink. But a violent gust of wind pushed it out of this whirlpool. The raft then resumed a more regular course. Meeting occasional currents and the saving breath of wind, it finally stopped near a dry, beautiful, vast bank that seemed to rise like a hill in the middle of that sea. Many young men became enamored when the raft encountered this shore. Saying that the Lord had wisely placed man on land and not on the water, they joyfully exited the boat without asking permission, invited others to follow them, and ascended that bank. Their contentment was brief. The floodwaters invaded the shores of that beautiful bank as well. Those unfortunate ones found themselves up to their waists in the water in a short time. They were quickly engulfed by the waves and disappeared. I exclaimed, it is indeed true that if a man empties his purse into his head, no one can take it away from him. An investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. Meanwhile, the raft was again at the whirlpool's mercy and threatening to sink. I saw my boys pale and panting. Take courage, I cried to them. Mary will not abandon us. Together we recited the acts of faith, hope, charity, and contrition, as well as a few Our Fathers, Hail Marys, and the Salva Regina. Then, kneeling and holding hands, we each recited particular prayers. However, several fools were indifferent to the danger, as if nothing had happened. They stood up and moved around, snickering among themselves and mocking their companions' pleas and prayers. The raft came to a sudden halt and spun rapidly, and a furious wind whipped those wretches into the waves. There were thirty of them, and nothing more was seen because the water was so deep and muddy. 
we sang the Salva Regina, and more than ever, we heartily invoked the protection of the Star of the Sea. After that last episode, calm ensued. But like a big fish, the raft kept moving on without us knowing where it would lead us. On board, we were engaged in a continual rescue effort, doing everything possible to prevent the young men from falling into the waters and to save those who did fall overboard. Some leaned carelessly over the raft's edge and fell into the water. Some boys were shameless and cruel and called others to join them near the raft's edge where a wave would jostle the raft and throw them overboard. Therefore, the priests prepared strong rods, large lines, and hooks of various kinds to retrieve those that went overboard. Some of the clerics attached the hooks to the rods and distributed them. Others stood in their assigned places with their rods raised, their eyes fixed on the waves, and their ears attentive to any cry for help. When a young man fell, the rods were lowered and the castaway grabbed the line, or else he was hooked by his belt or clothes and was thus rescued. The clerics then watched all around the raft's sides to keep the significant number of boys back from the edge. I stood at the foot of a tall mast at the center of the raft, surrounded by many boys, priests, and clerics who carried out my orders. As long as they were docile and obedient to my words, all was well and we were quiet, content, and secure. But quite a few began to find the raft uncomfortable and they feared the voyage was too long. They complained about the dangers, discomforts, inconveniences, and argued about where we would land. They wondered how we would find another refuge and deluded themselves with the hope that not far away we would land and find safe shelter. Still others worried that they would soon run out of provisions. In short, they began to question everything and refused to obey. I tried to persuade them with various reasons, but my efforts were in vain. Other rafts appeared that seemed to be following a different course from ours. The imprudent boys resolved to turn away from me and have their way. They threw some planks they found in our raft into the waters. Upon discovering more fairly wide planks floating nearby, they jumped on them and departed for the other rafts that had appeared. That scene was indescribably painful for me to see those unfortunate boys heading for their ruin. The wind was blowing and the waves were agitated. Behold, some of the boys sank beneath the waves, rising and falling furiously. Others were enveloped in the whirlpools and dragged into the abyss. Others bumped into obstacles at the water's edge, where they capsized and disappeared. Several managed to reach the other rafts, but those sank before long. The night grew dark and gloomy, and in the distance we heard the heart-rending cries of those who ultimately perished. Because all were shipwrecked, I thought of these words, In the sea of this world, all shall perish who are not aboard this ship, Our Lady's ship, that is, the ship of Mary Most Holy. The number of my dear children was significantly reduced. Nevertheless, we continued to trust in Our Lady. After the dark night, the ship finally entered a very narrow strait between two muddy shores covered with bush, large rocks, pebbles, poles, firewood, broken planks, masts, and oars. We could see tarantulas, toads, snakes, dragons, crocodiles, sharks, vipers, 
and a thousand other filthy animals around the boat. Above were weeping willows, the branches of which hung over our boat. Above the willows stood large cats, chewing pieces from human limbs. Many ape-like creatures hung from the branches and tried to touch and snatch the boys, but the boys squatted low and dodged those snares. Here we saw with horror the poor companions who had been lost or deserted us. After their shipwrecks, the waves had thrown them upon that beach. Some limbs had been torn to pieces by the most violent impact against the rocks. Others were buried in the marsh where only their hair and half an arm could be seen and someone's back protruded from the mud farther on. Elsewhere, some corpses floated entirely visible. Suddenly, a young man from the boat cried out, Here is a monster devouring the flesh of so-and-so. He repeatedly called that wretch by his name, pointing him out to his bewildered companions. Another spectacle presented itself to our eyes. A short distance away rose a gigantic furnace in which a great fire was blazing. Human forms appeared among the flames. We could see feet, legs, arms, hands, and heads now rising and then descending in those flames in the same chaotic manner as a pot of stew when it boils. Observing this ghastly sight, we saw many of our pupils and were startled. Above that fire was a great lid on which were written these words in large letters, the Sixth and Seventh Commandments. Nearby we saw a vast, tall outcrop of land with numerous haphazardly growing trees. Many of our young men were still moving, having either fallen into the waves or strayed on purpose during our voyage. I went ashore, paying no heed to the danger. I approached and saw that they had their eyes, ears, hair, and even their hearts filled with insects and filthy worms, which were gnawing at them, causing them great pain. One of the young men suffered more than the others. I wanted to approach him, but he fled from me by hiding behind the trees. I saw others who opened their shirts and showed their bodies were wrapped with snakes. Others had vipers on their chests. I pointed them all to a spring from which fresh, abundant mineral water poured. Whoever went to wash in it was healed instantly and was able to return to the boat. Most of those unfortunate ones obeyed my invitation, but some refused. I ended my appeal to them and turned to those who had been healed. Then they followed me confidently at my urging, and the monsters all withdrew. Then, as soon as we reboarded the raft, we were propelled by the wind, and it exited that strait and soared into a boundless ocean. Mourning the sad fate of our companions, we began to sing the hymn, Praise Mary, O Faithful Tongues, in thanksgiving to the great Heavenly Mother for having protected us until that moment. As though by Our Lady's command, the raging of the wind miraculously ceased, and the ship began to glide swiftly over the calm waves, with an ease I can't describe. The raft seemed to move forward at the mere encouragement that the young men jokingly gave it by pushing back the water with the palms of their hands. A rainbow appeared in the sky, more marvelous and varied than the aurora borealis. Passing by, we read the word meduum, written in large letters of light, but we didn't understand its meaning. 
It seemed to me that each letter was the initial of these words, Mater et Domina Omnis Universi Maria, that is, Mary, Mother and Mistress of the whole universe. After a long stretch of the journey, land appeared. Little by little, as we approached, we felt an inexpressible joy in our hearts. With its groves of trees, that land presented the most enchanting panorama one could imagine after that terrifying journey. It was illuminated as if the light of the rising sun shone behind its hills. It was a light like that of a beautiful summer evening. It instilled in us a sense of rest and peace. Finally, the raft bumped against the sands of the shore. Then the raft halted at the foot of a beautiful vineyard. We could say this about that raft, Oh God, you gave us a bridge to enable us to cross the ground swells of this world and reach your safe harbor. The young men were eager to enter into that vineyard. Some who were more curious than others leaped onto that shore, but after just a few steps, they remembered the unfortunate fate that befell those first ones who fell in love with the previous land that emerged in the middle of the stormy sea. So they hastily returned to the boat. Everyone's eyes turned to me. The wrinkled forehead of each asked the question, Don Bosco, is it time to descend and stop? I thought for a while and then said to them, let us descend. The time has come. Now we're safe. There was a general shout of joy. Each one wrung his hands in contentment and entered the vineyard. From the vines hung clusters of grapes like those found in the promised land, and on the trees grew every kind of fruit that one can desire. A great castle surrounded by a delightful regal garden and strong walls sat in the middle of that vast vineyard. We went to visit it and were granted entry. We were tired and hungry. In a large hall in the castle, all decorated with gold, a great table was set for us with the most exquisite foods to which everyone could help himself as he pleased. As we finished our refreshments, a noble servant entered the hall who was richly dressed of indescribable beauty. He greeted us with affectionate and familiar courtesy, calling us all by name. Seeing us astonished and amazed at his beauty and the magnificence of everything we had already seen, he said, this is nothing. Come and see. We followed him. He showed us the gardens from the balconies, explaining that those were for our recreation. He led us from hall to hall, each more magnificent than the previous in its architecture, with colonnades and ornaments of every kind. He then opened a door leading into a chapel and invited us to enter. From the outside, the chapel looked small, but as soon as we crossed its threshold, we saw it was so large that we could barely see one another from one end to the other. The floor, the walls, and the vaults were rich with admirable decorations of marble, silver, gold, and precious stones. I was so ecstatic with wonder that I exclaimed, but this is the beauty of paradise. I could remain here forever. In the center of that great chapel in the castle stood a magnificent statue of Mary Help of Christians. I called all the boys who had scattered here and there to examine the beauty of that sacred statue. The whole multitude went before it to thank the heavenly virgin for the many favors she showed us. Here I noticed the immensity of that church, 
for all those thousands of boys seemed like a small group occupying the center of the chapel. While the boys gazed at that statue, it suddenly seemed to come alive and smile. Our Lady moved her eyes, exclaimed some. And indeed, Blessed Mary turned her maternal eyes with overwhelming goodness upon those young men. Shortly afterward, they gave a second shout. Our Lady moved her hands. Indeed, slowly opening her arms, she raised her mantle as if to welcome us all under it. Tears flowed down our cheeks. Our Lady moved her lips, said some. There was a deep silence at first. Then Our Lady opened her mouth and, in a silvery, smooth voice, spoke to us. If you will be loving children to me, I will be your loving mother. At these words, we all fell to our knees and intoned the hymn, Praise Mary, O Faithful Tongues. Our harmony was so solid and polished that I was overwhelmed by it. I awoke, and thus ended my vision. Do you see, my dear children, in this dream, we can recognize the stormy sea of this world. Suppose you will be docile, obedient to my words, and not listen to evil counselors. In that case, if we spend our lives trying to do good and avoid evil, if we have overcome all our bad tendencies, we will finally arrive at a safe shore at the end of our lives. Then a messenger will come to meet us, sent by our Blessed Lady. In the name of our good God, to refresh us from our labors, the messenger will introduce us into the royal garden, paradise. It is God's most loving, divine presence. But if you do the opposite of what I preach to you, you will end up in a tragic shipwreck if you decide to follow your way and ignore my advice. Later, in private, Don Bosco gave a more specific explanation of this dream concerning not only the oratory, but also the Salesians. The plains are the world. The water threatening to drown us in the dream represents the world's dangers. The vast flood signifies vices, unholy sayings, and persecution against all that is good. The mill represented an isolated and quiet place, but one that was nonetheless threatened, and the house of bread was the Catholic Church. The baskets of bread were the Holy Eucharist, serving as viaticum for sailors. The raft represented the oratory. The tree trunk that formed a bridge from the mill to the raft was the cross, that is, the sacrifice of oneself to God with Christian mortification. But the plank that the young people tried to add as a more accessible bridge to enter the boat represented the transgression of the rules. Many go through life with selfish motives, a career, profit, honors, comfort, and changing one's condition and status. These, then, are the ones who do not pray and who mock the piety of others. The priests and clerics symbolized obedience and pointed to the signs of salvation possible because of obedience. The whirlpools are the various and tremendous persecutions that arose and will yet arise. The disobedient ones, who did not want to be on the raft and so set foot on the island that soon flooded, are those who re-enter the world from the oratory while scorning their calling. Then some sought refuge in other rafts. Many who fell into the water reached out their hands to those on our raft and they got back on with the help of their companions. 
They were those of good will who, having fallen wretchedly into sin, put themselves back into God's grace through penance. The strait with the cats, monkeys, and other monsters represents the revolutions, occasions, and enticements to sin. Bugs in the eyes, on the tongue, and in the heart symbolize evil looks, obscene speech, and disordered feelings. The spring of purifying water which made all insects die and healed anyone instantly refers to the sacraments of confession and holy communion. The swamp and fire, however, are places of sin and damnation. This dream doesn't mean that all those who fell into the sludge and disappeared and all those who burned in the flames should be lost in hell, God forbid, but it does mean that those in mortal sin would have been eternally lost if they had died. The Happy Island is the Salesian Society, established and triumphant, and the splendid messenger who welcomes the young people and leads them to the castle and the temple seems to be a deceased pupil now in heaven, perhaps Dominic Savio. Thank you all so much for watching and sticking with us through this three-part series, and if you'd like to enroll in our Saturday Mass Intentions for the promoters of St. John Bosco, please click on the link I've put on the screen. God bless you, and Our Lady keep you.